In today's environment, core business skills alone aren't enough to get you or your firm to the next level. What are some of the professional skills you need to know? And how much of an impact do they really have? We'll find out on this episode of Shift Shapers. Change either paralyzes or energizes. The choice is yours. You're listening to the Shift Shapers podcast. You're about to learn firsthand from businesses and entrepreneurs who have successfully shaped the shifts in their industries. Get ready to become the change that you want to see. Here's your host and chief transformation strategist, David Saltzman. This episode of the Shift Shapers podcast is brought to you by Captivated Health, a captive insurance arrangement designed specifically for educational institutions. If you have clients in that vertical, you know the healthcare deck has been stacked against them. Today, Captivated Health offers the stability, control, and savings they've been waiting for. For more information, go to www.captivatedhealth.com or click on the company logo on the Shift Shapers website. On this episode of Shift Shapers Podcast, we're speaking with Rachel Bosch. Rachel is the Managing Director of Fringe Professional Development, a Washington, D.C.-based firm focusing on helping individuals and organizations develop and implement strategies that help them raise their game. Rachel, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, David. Happy to be here. We focus an awful lot on our day-to-day lives on core business skills, but soft skills, or what I know you prefer to call professional skills, are at least equally important. Why is that? Well, that's exactly right. We spend so much time in school learning about those hard skills, which is pretty easy to equate to if you're a doctor, that's learning how to suture. If you're a lawyer, demographic that I work with quite a bit, that's learning how to write a brief or do a document review. What we don't teach people are the skills that help them communicate and create stronger teams within an organization. So unfortunately, it's really a case of what got you here won't get you there. You've got the skills to be really great at that core business, but unfortunately, if you don't have these, you're right, I like to call them professional skills that really help you to develop teams and relationships within your organization and outside, you'll see your business start to suffer. So if you can, just enumerate some of those skills that you think are areas where folks need to improve. Absolutely. At Fringe, we focus quite a bit on critical communications which is different from critical communications in a PR sense. It's less of handling some sort of crises in your organization and more being able to communicate effectively within that organization. This comes up quite a bit when it comes to performance management. So being able to effectively sit down with a teammate and give them some feedback that might be difficult for them to hear. But it also has to do with rolling out new processes. It's change management Change management is something that's going on quite a bit in a lot of organizations as they start to think about how to integrate technology and how to work well across generations. And if you don't communicate those changes effectively, if you don't have a plan in place to communicate to the people in your team, those changes can be shocking to people and cause quite a bit of disruption in the organization. Now, I know that you cover in your practice a whole range of disciplines from executive presence to personal branding critical communication you just mentioned, we talked about a little bit, and a bunch of other things. As you go out and you talk to clients, what's the number one need if if there is anything that you see more often than others? Yeah, you're right. We do talk quite a bit about branding, executive presence, 
leadership and business development. And the key thing through all of those, and it's the reason I started with critical communications, is that communications piece. There is a great quote about communication that I love to start with my clients with, and it says, the problem with communication is the incorrect assumption that at some time it has actually taken place. And that's really the key to all of these. There's a communication piece. There's an ability to understand the way people receive your message as well as how you want to convey it. And it's just a thoughtfulness and a planning to your communication that really underlies all of these areas of professional skills. I know that you've recently written a paper about this, and there's a lot of neuroscience and actual research behind how people communicate. And I think what might be interesting to explore is I think there are four areas in communication. We don't think about these things as we communicate day to day, but your take is that we really need to. And they're emotional, historical, future, and social. Can we talk about those one at a time a little bit and give the audience a little bit of insight? What does emotional have to do with conversation? Oh, absolutely. And these filters are something that we all use. And it's helpful when you're crafting a message or when you have a difficult message to convey to not just think about what's important for you to say in the moment, but also to think about what's happening with the person who's receiving that information. So I'll start with emotional, like you said, and the emotional side, that emotional filter when you're hearing a message, it's basically how the person is feeling about this, right? So it sort of explains why when doctors are very calm, they can deliver difficult news and it can be easier for somebody to absorb that way, right? So if you put somebody into an emotionally defensive state, it's going to be harder for them to understand what's happening. And the fact of the matter is we don't always know what's happening with our teammates. You could have somebody who came from an emotionally upsetting morning with family, maybe something happened with one of their children or a pet. And if they walk into the office and you don't take into account their emotional state, and then you deliver a hard message, that can make it even harder for them to receive that. So that's in a today thing. One of the other quadrants that you talk about is historical and how past experiences have a big impact on the way we receive communication. What's that all about? That's right. The way that we've experienced work in the past will inform the way that we receive messages in the future. The brain's really interesting when it comes to this. We like things that are familiar. That's why you see a lot of in the romantic comedy movie space, the girl will continue to go after the bad guy, even though she knows it's bad for her. It's because our brain likes something that's familiar to it. So if you put that into a business sense, that means that if you've perhaps had a consistently abusive manager, you move organizations, and in this new organization, you've got a great supportive manager, it may still be hard for that manager to send a message to you, even if it's positively phrased, because your brain is used to that historic message of, "Mm, when my manager comes in, something's wrong. So that manager needs to take into account the historical basis of the communications that the teammate has had with managers in the past, and then try to craft messages appropriately. You see the historical piece a lot in basic marketing as well. That's the, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you, then I'm going to tell it to you, then I'm going to remind you that I told you. They're creating a history of what's happened in the brain so that that message becomes familiar to that person. And this isn't all happenstance. This is actually scientifically based. Yes, this is all neuroscience-based. There is a great organization, the Merits Institute, who looks at how neuroscience affects 
our teams and our businesses. Another great organization I would point your listeners to is the Neuroleadership Institute. They bring together top psychologists and neuroscientists in the country and across the globe and top organizational development specialists. And they talk about how you can use neuroscience to craft better teams and better experiences for your people. So when we say it's all in your head, to a certain extent, it really is. It really is. Yeah, that's exactly right. We've touched on two of the four filters. We've talked about emotional and historical. This one is a little bit, I think, maybe more difficult to grasp. You talk about the future where the receiver, the person who's on the receiving end of the conversation, has goals for their future and their expectations, and that plays a role. How, as the sender, if you will, do you factor that in? Well, that's a great question because it's hard to know what people want in the future. But you may recall earlier I said that underlying all of the different focus areas that we look at with our clients at Fringe is communication. The best way to figure out where somebody's future filter is when you're sending them a message, it's to have an upfront and honest conversation with them. And if it's a particular project that you're working on that you're giving feedback on, this can mean that you've had a sit down where you've had very specific goals laid out for that project. But if it's something larger, like a career conversation, it means that at some point, hopefully not in a feedback or performance setting, you've sat down with that team member and said, hey, you know, where do you want to be in five years? And how can I help you get there? And what are the skills that you need to get there? It lets that person know that you're on the same side as they are. And it creates a relatedness in the brain that makes them have a willingness to come with you and put up fewer filters when they have a conversation with you. And the last of the four filters is social, which is really kind of, it seems to me to be more of a, of a subjective filter. How does that factor into communication? Well, you know, social is really interesting because we also know that one of the key factors in keeping people in a positive mindset in their work environment is something called status. And social and status are pretty close together. There's some great neuroscience on status in the workforce, and that's through the Neuroleadership Institute. When we're thinking about an organization or a team, social can mean a lot of things. It can mean do I know that I'm being paid less than the person next to me? And now I'm not going to give that person as much credit or maybe my boss as much credit because I know that she's set up something in this workforce that is unfair to me. But it could also mean that maybe I have a large group of people outside of work that I bounce ideas off of, and they may have set up an expectation for me that maybe my boss, when they come in to tell me something, is not thinking in my best interest. So you're right. It's multifaceted, but it really can be tied within an organization most closely to status. So if somebody is very concerned with status, you'll see that social filter come up time and time again. And if you're the person trying to communicate with them, you can take that into account and think about, okay, how might I be triggering that social status piece of their brain and putting up a wall between them and the message I'm trying to send? And now a word from our sponsor. Captivated Health is a single source solution for your clients and prospects who are in the education vertical. The founders of Captivated Health have nearly 20 years' experience working with educational institutions, and over that time, they've developed a keen understanding of the unique problems these clients experience. Frustrated by a lack of control, the unpredictability of ever-increasing health care costs, and the pressures and regulations of the Affordable Care Act, 
These groups have been adrift in the fully insured commercial marketplace until now. Captivated Health has built a program that solves those problems, and it does so with virtually no disruption to faculty and staff while saving clients millions of dollars. We wanted you to be among the first to know that Captivated Health is building a national distribution partner network so you can bring this cutting-edge solution to the educational clients you advise. To learn more about the Captivated Health solution, go to their website at www.captivatedhealth.com or click on their logo on the Shift Shapers website. And now, back to our interview. Now, there's a lot in the news about different generations and how different generations learn and how they interact and how they communicate. Could you take us through each generation and, and maybe give us some key markers to be aware of so that as we look at these four filters and other communication methods, we have a, a keener understanding on how to hone those for the particular generation we're talking to? Absolutely. And, you know, this is a this is a really interesting time. We have more generations in the workforce than we have in quite a while. You're seeing fewer and fewer of the greatest generation in the workforce right now. They are starting to retire. Some of them are being forced into retirement. So the bulk of the workforce right now falls into boomers, Xers, and Gen Y, alternately known as millennials. The big thing that you need to know here is that the largest portion of the workforce is made up of those boomers and the millennials. So Gen X really is a small portion of the workforce right now. There are some consistencies among all of these groups in the way that they work and the things that they want in work. What's really different is the expectations and the actions. So everybody wants to work in an organization where they feel valued, where they're compensated fairly, and where they feel as though they're able to make an impact. What we see with our boomers is that they are the folks who came into an organization and they were lifers, right? So they would come in and they would stay their entire working career in one organization. They put in their time and they worked hard and they had crappy bosses, but they didn't mind and they kept working for that organization and they climbed that corporate ladder very cleanly, right? Rung by rung, never missing a step. Then we have our Gen Xers come in. Gen Xers in general tend to be, they like to tell me they're the forgotten generation. (laughs) They came in sort of disadvantaged, smaller than every other group, and they felt as though the boomers above them were just never going to move out of the way. So they moved across organizations more frequently, but still really felt as though it was a putting your time and then get something out of your job. But they were honestly consistently constricted because the boomers weren't moving up quickly enough through the organizations. Then you have Gen Y, millennials. Millennials are the largest portion of the U.S. workforce right now, and they're growing rapidly. And that is a group that's really interesting. There's been a lot said about them in terms of the way that they practice and work in organizations. And there's been a lot about how they are very entitled and they want to come in and get the raise within their first week. What I would like to counter is that millennials feel as though They want to make an impact and a value quickly in an organization. And since they're the largest group, and because jobs are so different than they were 15, 20 years ago with the technology that we have at our fingertips, we're really able to work from any place. They want more flexibility. They want to make an impact. And they can. They can change organizations more frequently if they're not seeing what they want from their organization 
And we have the data that shows that they really do. They move around quite a bit, but it's because they're looking for something. So organizations have a real opportunity and they need to take advantage of it because like I said, this is the largest group of the workforce right now in the US. If employers consistently write millennials off as lazy or entitled, they're going to find themselves with a talent deficit really quickly. So it's important for organizations to start thinking about how they can create atmospheres that have flexibility, that promote value and impact. And if they do that, I think they'll see the millennials staying quite a bit longer than they currently are. Are there also different ways to communicate with millennials versus the Gen Xers or the boomers? This is something I get quite a bit from many of the executives that I work with. I am a millennial. So a lot of them will say to me, well, don't, don't you just want me to text you all the time? <laughs> and I, I have to laugh because not only do I not want them to text me all the time, I don't want them to text me at all. I think that in general, there's a feeling that millennials only want to be communicated with electronically. And it's nice that you have boomers and Xers reaching out via those methods to communicate with their teams. But what I hear from millennials in our practice over and over again is, I don't know why they won't just talk to me. I'm right down the hall. I'm happy to talk to them. So I actually don't think that there should be a difference in the way we're communicating. Always communicate with respect and always communicate thinking about those four filters that we talked about. And with the other person in mind, I call that generous communication, thinking about your communication in terms of how is this going to positively impact the person that I am speaking to? In creating an environment that in which millennials can thrive, how important is a sense of community in that workforce? Oh, I think it's one of the most important things you can do. Relatedness is so important to millennials. We hear that a lot with the term social proof. Social proof is really important to millennials and Quick overview for any of your listeners who aren't familiar with the term social proof means that as a millennial, when I'm driving down the street trying to decide where I'm going to go to dinner, if I see two restaurants side by side and one of them is beautiful and it looks very fancy and nice and the other one next door looks like it's run down and it might be a little shady, I'm not sure that I can trust it, but the shady run down one has a line around the block. I will go to that one. Most of the boomers and the Xers that I work with will say, oh no, I'll I'll go to the fancy one. That one doesn't look safe. But to me as a millennial, that's social proof. The fact that there's a line around the outside of the building, that's more important to me than anything. And that means that relatedness is really important to millennials in the workforce and externally. So building community is really, really necessary to keep your millennials engaged. The other thing that building community does is it gives a sense of the firm's or the organization's values, right? It's very hard to have community if you all aren't on the same page in terms of your values and goals. And for millennials, it's very important that they understand those values and goals and that they align with the values and goals of the millennial. In the minute or two that we've got left, one of the questions that we frequently like to wrap up with is how do you see the future? Obviously, the millennials are going to grow into into more senior positions and such over the next 5, 10, 15 years. What do you see the future looking like in terms of organizations and communication and, and those other skills, that those professional skills that are needed? Well, I see millennials, like you said, making a very serious impact on the professional world that they are now taking over slowly. 
But I think it's going to be a little different from the way that some of my boomer or my ex or colleagues view it. I think that there's going to be a return back to community. I'm really glad that you brought that up because I think that's going to be much more important moving forward. There's going to be less siloing of work within our organizations and more communication across platforms. And I think that you're going to see a real increase in demand for professional skills training. One of the reasons that Fringe Professional Development was founded was because we were seeing that there was such a need with this influx of millennials. Millennials have been surveyed. There's some great research by Burson out of Deloitte that shows that when it comes to millennials in the workforce, they want three things and they want them really badly. The first is fair pay. The second is healthcare coverage. And the third most important thing that they want is professional development. They want to see organizations investing in them. So they are going to be really keen to learning these skills very early on, figuring out how to develop a brand early on, figuring out what executive presence and business development means to them. So I really see millennials being able to build communities and hit the ground running in a way that many of the professionals who were just slowly moving up the corporate ladder before were not able to do. Rachel Bosch, Managing Director of Fringe Professional Development. Rachel, thank you so much for sharing your expertise with the Shift Shapers audience. Thanks so much. The Shift Shapers podcast is a production of Strategic Vision Publishing and David Saltzman. This podcast may not be reproduced in any form, in whole or in part, without the express written permission of the producers. All rights reserved. Thank you.